Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. So the first reading will be starting in Leviticus chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. The ordination of Aaron and his sons. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast and gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him, and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head, and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood, and with his finger he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and both kidneys and their fat, and burned it on the altar. But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its intestines, he burned up outside the camp, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now our next reading is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 28, from verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely 
those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Evening, everyone. About eight and a half years ago, I saw an advertisement for a ministry role. This advertisement described the kind of church I thought I'd really love to be a part of and the kind of role working with young adults at an evening service that I'd always hoped maybe one day I would be fortunate enough to do. So I sent an email to Emily, my wife, that you can see on the screen with the subject, want to move to Northwest Sydney? I quickly applied for the job, but I needed to provide references. And the problem was, I didn't know anyone at this St. Matthew's Anglican Church. I'd never even heard of West Pennant Hills. I knew hardly anyone in Sydney. So in the end, I just put down two friends of mine that worked in ministry in Melbourne, because I figured Melbourne was kind of close and that'd be fine. Uh, And I, I just, I hoped, I hoped I might still be lucky enough to get an interview. And by God's amazing providence, One of those references I put down turned out to be a personal friend of Nerida, who was the outgoing assistant minister. And the other reference I put down turned out to be a personal friend of Steve Abbott, who was the senior minister looking to hire somebody. How good is that? I'm pretty sure that got me the job. I brought nothing to the table, just had the right references. How good is it when your reference turns out to have an inside connection with the one doing the hiring? How helpful is it to have a go-between? Because we all need go-betweens sometimes, right? There are some situations we can't navigate on our own. There are some problems we can't solve on our own. And so we need someone with more expertise, more connections, more authority, more relationship to intercede for us. It could be something as official as having a solicitor draw up legal documents because a solicitor can navigate that uh, legal world. Or it could be something as mundane as helping your grandparent set up a new phone. But we all need a go-between sometimes. We all find ourselves in situations where we need someone that can do what we can't do, or that can go where we can't go. That's true legally, it might be true technologically, but it's also true spiritually. We live in a world in desperate need of a spiritual go-between. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, there is this massive gap between God and humanity. There's this massive gap. We need someone to make a bridge between God and us. We need someone to make a bridge between God and the world that's rejected him. But it's not just the Bible that makes us aware of this gap. As confused as our world is about spirituality, there seems to be like general consensus on this, that we need representatives who can act as go-betweens for
for us spiritually. So whether humans try turning to a shaman or a brahmin or an imam, or a monk, or a mufti, or a medium, a druid, or a guru, a saint, or a spiritualist. People across times and cultures have recognized that if they want to navigate the spiritual world, if they want to connect with the divine, they need someone that can work as a go-between. We all need a go-between. And that was definitely true for ancient Israel. Remember the setting of Leviticus. The Israelites have been set free from slavery in Egypt and they are becoming God's chosen people. God is going to live with them. But there's a problem. God is holy and the people are not. And his holiness is so powerful that it will destroy any unholiness that gets too close. At the very beginning of Leviticus, Leviticus 1 verse 1, we're told that God speaks to Moses from the tent of meeting. He speaks to Moses from his tent. But Moses can't go in. There's a separation. There's a gap. And Leviticus then goes on to explain how that gap can be overcome. Last week we saw the role that sacrifice was going to play in establishing a relationship. But to correctly offer sacrifices... To have representatives, the people need something more. They needed priests. So today we're going to look at the role of priests as go-betweens for God and Israel. We're going to see the good and the very, very bad. And we're going to see what all this seemingly random ritual has to do with us today and with St. Matt's being a place of grace. Let me pray. We'll jump in. God, thank you that you want to speak to us, that you want to relate to us, and that you don't stay far off. Thank you that you're willing to come close. We pray that we'd see that again through your word tonight, and we'd leave here with thanksgiving for Jesus Christ. Amen. We're looking at chapters 8 to 10 tonight. Three chapters, so we're going to have to move pretty quickly. Last week we looked at chapters 1 to 7, so we moved even quicker then. Uh, but that one, chapters 1 to 7 were a great way to establish some of the key themes of Leviticus as we looked at five different sacrifices. But the narrative, the, the story in Leviticus actually starts at chapter 8. So we're getting to the start of the story now, three weeks into our series. Chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bulls and rams and bread for the offerings and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. God is going to establish priests who can come into his holy presence and act as representatives for the rest of the people. And the people he's chosen to be his representatives, the representatives for the people, are Aaron and Aaron's sons. I wonder if you remember Aaron. Because the last time he came up as a significant character in the story of Israel was back in Exodus. He's the guy who made a golden calf for Israel, a fake God to replace their true God. If you want to know God's character, if you want to know what God's like, just look at how he deals with Aaron. He's willing to forgive Aaron and use Aaron. Because our God is full of grace. 
But Aaron and his sons aren't ready yet to be those go-betweens. They need to be prepared. So God has appointed Moses to get Aaron and his sons ready. So God has given, this is the logic, God has given Moses to be a go-between on behalf of Aaron, who's a go-between on behalf of the people. So chapter 8 is going to look at Moses being the go-between for Aaron. Chapter 9, Aaron being a go-between for the people. It's a pretty lengthy process getting Aaron ready, so let me race through it a bit. First, Moses has to wash Aaron and his sons with water. Then he dresses Aaron with special clothing that's loaded with sacred symbolism. We have tunic, sash, robe, ephod, waistband, breastpiece, urim and thummim, turban, gold plate. It's all sacred clothing. If you want to learn more about it, Exodus 28, go for it. Then Moses goes around anointing everything in the tabernacle with oil. Everything in the tabernacle. What he's doing with this oil is he's marking everything that the oil hits as set apart, distinct. It's now holy. Then he gets Aaron and he pours oil on Aaron to mark Aaron as holy. And the story keeps going at this point, but something really important has just happened, so I know I said I'd go fast. I'm already going to stop. The Hebrew for anointing with oil is Meshach. And Aaron just became an anointed one, which is a Mashiach, or as we say it in English, Messiah. The Messiah is the one who is marked, who is anointed, chosen, set apart for God's special purpose. God is providing a Mashiach for Israel. Next, it's time for sacrifices. Aaron and his sons bring forward animals as offerings, and Moses again acts as the go-between. He makes the sacrifices on their behalf. He's the priest for these not-yet-priests. They offer a bull as a sin offering, representing their repentance to God. Then a ram as a burnt offering, representing their reverence to God. Then a special ram offering to set them apart as priests, and a grain offering representing their recognition of God. Then Moses anoints them again. Only this time he doesn't just use oil, he also uses blood from the sacrifice. The blood that paid for their sin is now marking them as holy. Then they have to wait outside the entrance to the tent of meeting, God's tent, for seven days straight. Then, on the eighth day, Aaron is ready to start acting as the high priest for Israel. Moses steps down now from being Aaron's go-between. He still supervises, but now we see Aaron start to take over. But Aaron can't go straight into acting as the go-between. He can't immediately start offering sacrifices for the people. First, he has to offer more sacrifices for himself. So he makes his own sin offering, then a burnt offering, before he can finally start making the sacrifices for the people. And on behalf of the people, he makes a sin offering, symbolizing their repentance, He makes a burnt offering symbolizing their reverence. He makes a fellowship offering symbolizing their desire to have relationship with God. And after all this, he steps down. Aaron has followed all the regulations God set out. He's completed all the rituals. But now there's a pause in the story. There's a pause. You know how once every four years, 
the Olympics comes on and we all become gymnastics experts. Except we're not really gymnastics experts. So we watch the routine and we, we applaud in our, in our houses. I'm sure we all applaud. But then we immediately look to the judges because we actually have no idea if it was good enough or not. We need the judge to make a ruling. How good was it? Was it good enough? And that's what we see here in the story. There's this pause. And we can imagine the whole assembly of Israelites that have gathered to watch this, holding their collective breath. Because remember, this is the first time they've ever had a priest to do this for them. They don't know yet how God is going to respond. Is God going to accept their offerings? Will God accept his people as holy? Verse 23 of chapter 9. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the offerings on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. And there it is. God lives with his people. Ever since God showed up on Mount Sinai in thunder and darkness and fire and smoke and lightning, we've been building up to this moment. No, no. Ever since Adam and Eve left the garden, we've been building up to this moment. At last, God lives with his people again. This is one of the high points of the entire Old Testament. It's kind of buried in the middle of Leviticus. The sacrifices work. The priests work. The system works. God has made a way for sinful people to be made holy and live with him. The people now know that as long as Aaron lives, or his son lives, or his grandsons lives, as long as his descendants live, they'll have go-betweens, maintaining a relationship between them and their holy God. And then, and then, there's not even like this break in the story. It reads like it's happening the very next day. And then, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their senses, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And just like that, the system already breaks down. Aaron's two oldest sons have desecrated God's holy place. We aren't told why they do it. Maybe they think the glory of God showing up is a really cool party trick and they want to try and make it happen again. Maybe they're jealous of their dad and they want to establish themselves as priests not stuck in his shadow. In a few verses, God is going to say that from now on, no priest can enter the temple or after the, enter the tabernacle after they've been drinking alcohol. So maybe they're just drunk. But whatever their motivation, they've completely ignored the rules God has put in place. They've ignored him and made their own rules. Just like their dad made his own golden calf. Just like Adam and Eve ate the fruit. 
and their sin has made these holy representatives unholy. And they're destroyed by God's holy presence. This is shocking. This is really confronting. But God isn't to be taken for granted. And Moses reminds Aaron of words God spoke in Exodus. Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. His presence isn't a party trick. His his glory isn't a game. God will not be taken for granted. Poor Aaron and his younger two sons, they're not even allowed to grieve. The rest of the people can grieve, but they have to go on as priests. They have to keep fulfilling their responsibilities because Israel needs a go-between. And from this point, the book of Leviticus goes into damage control. But we'll leave that for the coming weeks. At this point, though, where we leave the end of chapter 10, the priests, sorry, the, the people are finally able to relate to God through the priests, but the priests immediately fail in their responsibilities. The cracks in the system are on full display from the very beginning. At this point, Israel is left in such a fragile position. But the same isn't true for us. Because Aaron isn't our go-between. His sons are not our go-between. None of his descendants are our go-betweens. No, we have a different anointed one. A different Mashiach, a different Messiah. And he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law in Leviticus appoints as high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath, the promise of God, which came after the law, appointed the Son, Jesus Christ, who has been made perfect forever. That's Hebrews 7. That's truth. That's our good news. God gave us Jesus as a go-between, and we absolutely don't need to worry about him messing up. Better even than a perfect reference for a job application, he smoothed the way for us and and brings us in. God gave Jesus as a go-between for us. We don't need special priests now. We don't need special sacrifices. We don't need special rituals because God gave Jesus as a go-between. And he always intercedes for us. Think about that. If you put your trust in Jesus, he is always ready to intercede for you. He's on retainer. He's always ready to go to work for you. If you have given Jesus your allegiance, then every time you mess up, every time you sin, he always stands on your behalf in the presence of God saying, I have paid 
for their sin. I have paid for their sin. I have paid for their sin. And now, because of our high priest, because of our go-between, we are always welcome to come into God's presence. We can't sin too much. We can't wander too long. We can't fall too far. God gave Jesus as our go-between and he always stands on our behalf. But at the risk of bringing too much theology into one sermon, Jesus isn't the only priest that God gives the world today. Once we become followers of Jesus, once we make him our go-between, once he's a mediator between us and God, God's Spirit comes to live with us. And from that moment, God gives each of us as go-betweens too. Peter writes that we become priests too. We take on the responsibility of bridging the gap between the God who loves his world and the world that's rejected its God. Because Jesus has made us holy, because he has now made us able to go into God's presence, it's now our job to reflect him and represent him to the world. Our theme for 2023 at St. Matt's is to be a place of grace and a people of grace. Place of grace. It rhymes, sounds cute, right? But it's not supposed to just be a cute slogan. It's our job. It's our calling. It's our purpose. God gave Jesus as a go-between for us, and he gave us who know Jesus as a go-between for the world. Peter calls us a, a kingdom of priests. Paul calls us God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us that people would be reconciled to God. About a decade ago, I read a book by these two guys who interviewed hundreds of people who had decided to give their allegiance to Jesus. And the book was looking at the stories of these former skeptics to see what they all had in common in their journey to faith. And the first thing they all had in common, they knew and trusted a Christian. Isn't that interesting? If people are going to trust Christ in this generation first, they need to trust a Christian. God has placed you in the job you have, in the class you're in, in the street you live on, in your circle of friends, to be a bridge between him and the people around you, people who desperately need to know his grace. I know that prospect is scary. Honestly, I often feel scared about this too. But we don't need to do it perfectly. We don't need to be perfect. We just need to point them to the one who is perfect on our behalf. And praise be to God that he has given us Jesus as a go-between. 
Praise be to God that Jesus stands on our behalf. And praise be to God that out of love for this broken world, he's given us to be go-betweens too. He's given you to be a go-between too. God, it feels really big. But we pray that you'd put our eyes back on Jesus and we'd be amazed and grateful that he always stands on our behalf. And we pray that out of that gratitude, we'd want to be go-betweens for other people that need to know him too. We pray this for their sake and for your glory. Amen. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Bree and I'm up here with Chris to do a Q&R after the sermon. Um, lots covered in this passage today. Uh, to start off, we've got a question about priests um, and their different kinds of priests. Um, the question is, Hebrews 7 talks about the high priest. Was Aaron Israel's high priest in Leviticus and his sons just regular old priests? Yep. Uh, so they get, they get dressed differently. If you go back to... Leviticus 8, and read it about what the clothes they wear. They wear the, re- pre- the clothes of regular old priests, and he is the high priest. Yep. Then, just continuing on with that theme, um, why did God choose Aaron and his sons, knowing that they would defile the temple in the next moment, and that they would be consumed? Yeah. I mean, without being glib, why choose you? Like, I, I think uh, that kind of gets to the heart of it, right? I think that's a great question to be wrestling with. Why did God choose them? I mean, look at how sinful and disgraceful they are. Why did, he, why did he bother with Adam and Eve? Why did he bother with King David? Why did he, like, you could just go through the entire Bible story until you get to yourself and ask the same question. And God chooses sinners to reveal his glory because he's merciful and gracious. I think uh, they do seem to wreck the system immediately, and that's kind of shocking. But I, I think... Yeah, I think God builds the flaws into the plan from the very beginning so that there will be a sense of longing for something better, a sense of inadequacy, because there is something better coming. Uh, I, can you, if I just like mention like half a verse from Hebrews, can you just quote it for me perfectly? Uh, <laughs> so uh, these, the things that are seen are a shadow. Shadow. Yep, a shadow of, yeah. Um, that's Hebrews 9. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. What I wanted to tell you really to do is just read all Hebrews this week because the Hebrews will answer every question you have about Leviticus and then some you didn't think to ask. But, uh, yeah, Hebrews, the theme is how Jesus is so much better than this system that's set up in Leviticus. Uh, not that there was something wrong with... Well, no, there was something wrong. It depended on sinful humans. But we now depend on Jesus who's sin-free. And we'll also notice that it's a bit of a pattern where God sets up a good system that has been broken immediately, like when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and immediately you have the golden mm. calf incident. And so this is a bit of a pattern of, yes, God sets up these ways to draw close to him, but as humans we continually stuff it up and that's why we need Jesus. Okay, next question. Um, I'll do this one. Uh, why does God not manifest his glory like in fire the same way today? So in our passage, uh, 
we had God coming down in fire to uh, consume the sacrifice first and then consumed the two priests. Why does he not show himself in the same way today? Yeah, I was going to be say it would be nice, but then you went for the priest getting consumed, not the sacrifice getting consumed. <laughs> I think the end of chapter 9, where the, the sacrifice gets consumed, it's like, oh, that would be, wouldn't that be amazing to just see God come through so explicitly? Um, I think if we go Hebrews 1, uh, this is Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Son, S-O-N, that's probably important for this. The, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I guess the answer that I suspect God would have is because there's absolutely nothing inadequate about revealing himself to us in his son. Like What we get as Christians looking back at Jesus is so much more profound, so much more deep, so much more transformative than the Israelites staring in fire. That was the exact same verse I was going to oh, go to as well. I left it for you, sorry. That's it. We get Jesus to look at, and that's more than enough um, than any other manifestation um, God, to do, God could do. Um, and our last question we'll go with tonight. Whichever you're choosing, Brie, you have to answer. Go. <laughs> if I can find it again. Um, the person asked, is not Jesus the only way to God, the only one who can intercede? Need we be careful not to overstate humans' role in salvation? Yeah, Bree. <laughs> and a person also quoted 1 Peter 2, which I think is literally the answer to this question. Um, so uh, in 1 Peter 2, it talks about how God has made us a kingdom of priests. Um, it goes back to the same words used in Exodus 19, um, that God has made us to be a kingdom of priests. And I guess the question is uh, talking about how and in church's history, there have been um, times where people have elevated humans to this mm. level of priest um, in an unhelpful way. Um, so particularly the Reformation was about getting rid of that sense of um, having to have a go-between between regular people and God. Um, but we know that we are all priests. Um, so one of the big ideas from the Reformation is the priesthood of all believers. So it's not that there are some particular people who are priests and others who are not. Amongst are, Christians. Amongst yes. Christians, yes, yes thank you. Um, we are all able to intercede. Um, we're all able to go into God's presence. And we are all to witness God to the world. Um, in one, uh, 2 Corinthians, we're called Christ's ambassadors. So we are supposed to be people who are interceding towards God, where we don't need to have special people or special officers in the church that are closer to God than other Christians. So we're priests that don't save. Jesus is the only priest that saves, but we're priests that point to the Saviour. Okay. Let's wrap up in prayer. Our Lord God, and we do thank you so much um, that you have made yourself known to us and that we can draw near to you. And we thank you for our great high priest, Jesus. Thank you that through his sacrifice, through his blood, through his offering up of himself, we can draw close to you. And we pray that you would help us um, to live out as your people in this world as well, that we would point to Jesus and his saving work. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. 
We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.